I find that really interesting. And Patrick Royce, I'm sorry for calling you wrong five years ago. You nailed it, although you did write at the beginning of this season that nothing was going to stop these twins. This team has no flaws, and they were going to skyrocket into contention. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Well, like, it does stink. I mean, September call if you're coming, and I, I just don't care. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I looked at it, and okay, yeah, they might lose 100 games, especially if their recent streak continues. Yeah. I think they have to go like 14 and 17 to, to sit on 100. Yeah, math- mathematically right now, as we record this podcast, the Twins are going to lose 102 games. That's their trajectory. So... Anyway, 100 losses obviously is bad. You don't look at that and you say it's good. But here's the maybe more depressing part. Look at the 25-man roster right now. It's so bad. And you look look at the names. And if you've checked out over the past few weeks, I don't blame you. Because we have to. Bless you. Yeah. Bless you. But it's... You don't look up and down the names and say, well, yeah, I mean, it's not great right now. But at least... There aren't names on the list that inspire confidence for a brighter future. See, it would be more fun to watch right now if if you could at least pick out individual success stories. Like when well, Kepler. When, when the Vikings weren't going to make the playoffs a couple of years ago, but at least you could watch Teddy Bridgewater developing. Sure. Okay, here we go. And we've got young defensive players. Anthony Barr is blossoming. The guys you want to see developing as the September call-ups uh, period comes up later this week, they're still in AAA. I mean, they're like Byron Buxton. Now, Byron Buxton, this, let's spend three minutes maximum talking about September call-ups okay. <laughs> because I'm putting myself to sleep talking about the micro with this <laughs> right. baseball team. Byron Buxton won International League Player of the Week for this last week. He had four home runs. He, I believe he hit home runs in like four consecutive games. He's still striking out twice per game in Rochester. That's not going to fly in the big league. So the, the, the things that you would want to see him, if there's anything he still has left to conquer in the minor leagues, it would be, okay, go down there. And don't strike out. Go down there and show that you can put the bat on the on the ball, and you can at least put the ball in play on a regular basis against inferior pitching. Um, understand why it's tough to do that against major league pitching, but do it against inferior pitching. And he's not. I mean, he's gonna if if he's striking out in forty percent of his plate appearances, like he has been in the big league so far, it's impossible to be a valuable hitter. I don't care how powerful you are or how fast you are. You can't strike out that often, and he's still doing that in Rochester. Wow, that just got really. That's I didn't want to talk about September college. Right. You just sliced open a vein and on my arm. I'm bleeding all That's over. The you table. had a bandage, and I ripped it off God. for you. I'm really sorry. I need therapy. Yeah, it sounds it sounds that way. Man. Um, yeah, I we won't spend any appreciable amount of time talking about this because it is it's it's frankly it's boring. There's 
it like you said, it would be entirely different to me if it was like, okay, there were a bunch of veterans that stubbed their toes and got off to this terrible start, but now, now you're looking at a roster with Jose Barreos, Tyler Duffy, um, Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano, Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, sort of surfacing and figuring it out. They're a big part of of why the Twins are where they are right now, and it's still fascinating me to watch Sano. I think Sano should play every day at third base in September. It's still fascinating to me to watch um, whether or not Byron Buxton will get a call up. I mean, you, you almost have to, right? I, I think that he should. Um, and then it'll be fascinating to me to see what happens with Barreos. Kepler's still pretty interesting to me, but I think I've sort of started to figure out Kepler a little better than than some of the other guys. Uh, and it's not it's just there's not this pull. There's not this intrigue of – and I wouldn't blame fans for one second if they checked out because unlike, say, the Timberwolves when they traded Kevin Garnett – have I told you this story? Uh, I don't know yet. This will just be the closing sure. chapter. The Timberwolves, when I was young and – and growing up, it was Kevin Garnett, right? That was the whole story. I, Stephon Marbury sort of predates my paying attention to the Timberwolves. Oh, it's so, it's I know. It's I forget weird. you're born in the '90s, yeah, right? Yeah. And so 1990, 91. Okay. And so it's weird. Um, like the the moment that I was most, I wouldn't even say like a fan because I was never really a huge Timberwolves fan. I just kind of passingly interested. But then the day I was the most interested in the Minnesota Timberwolves before I became in, involved in sports media. The day they traded Garnett, and there was this huge package from the Celtics of, oh, I wonder what Sebastian Telfair might one day become, or who are some of those? Ryan Gomes, um, Ryan Gomes, that's yeah. right. Uh, Al Jefferson, Al was Jefferson was the centerpiece. centerpiece. Yeah, and but uh, Gerald Green before he was good. Uh, it, that was after he left the Timberwolves. I love how they, they they traded Kevin Garnett. The Celtics absolutely needed to acquire Kevin Garnett to win a championship, and somehow didn't have to give up Rajon Rondo. Right. <laughs> We're going to give you one of the greatest players in basketball history. Yeah, let's start with Rajon Rondo, and then we'll build the package from there. And they couldn't even do that; they wound up with nothing. Basically, well, it was like, and this looks funnier in hindsight too. But it was like when the Twins traded Johan Santana and wound up with the Mets' second best prospect at right. the time. But I mean, Fernando Martinez—you can talk about that not panning out. But anyway, Fernando Martinez was considered by many the Mets' best prospect, and the Mets said, "Yeah, we'll dictate give us your this." Ice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about we decide the package? What do you think about Philip Umber? Um, yeah, so anyways. Okay, but, fine. Kevin Mulvey. A long, and, a long and winding way of making the point that it's really interesting to me to see what might be down the road. And it's not as interesting this year. I just don't see the pieces that makes me say, you know, I'm not curious what Juan Centeno will be in five yeah. years. I'm not that curious. It is amazing. The last six years, last year is the exception. But the, the other five years, going back to uh, 2011, when they lost 99 games, how many times the Twins went into the season telling themselves and telling the public, our goal is to contend this year. And then by the end of the year, you look at the, four, the, the 25-man roster, and it's a bunch of replacement-level, also-ran players. Look at this. Like you, brought, you brought it up at the beginning of the podcast. They started off this season thinking they were going to contend for a division championship and a playoff spot. And now look at the roster. Up and down, it's just the line. Danny Santana should not be an everyday player. And it's, I feel like I could rant about eight different things right now about the current Twins. But ultimately, a new president of baseball operations is going to be in place at some point, probably within the next few podcasts, uh, you know, before too long into October. And that's going to be the only thing that can bring a renewed sense of optimism. 
if someone comes in with the right message and potentially you know throughout the off season makes trades or free agent signings or whatever it may be um you know the, the one thing that's a little bit discouraging for fans is if you think that the previous regime or previous system whatever it may be or i guess current system as it were because they've yet to replace the current system if you think that development system has potentially busted certain prospects like Byron Buxton or Jose Barrios you won't see the fruits of a new development system for at least you know the off season into next season maybe even years beyond that so uh, it's going to be kind of a hurry up and wait situation. I, in fact, this is a good segue into something Patrick Royce wrote that him and I fought about on our radio show <laughs> five years ago. Yeah. And I think as I read this to you, you can listen to it. And he wrote this in 2011, exactly five years ago, September 2011. And you could almost you could you could read this same premise now and maybe apply it for the next few years. That's how that's how bad this organization has has gotten itself. So. Here's what Patrick wrote on September 22nd, 2011. The signs are everywhere. This is not an isolated dive into the midst of a long run of success for the Twins. The run is over, and the Twins have entered a cycle where they will be hanging out with the American League also-rans for several years. All that is required is to look back at the 1990s to see comparisons that are as vivid and grotesque as a Robert Rodriguez movie. And he lists examples for... Uh, why people thought the 91-92 Twins were going to carry over into this new wave of prospects and prosperity throughout the decade and why it was false hope. And comparables would be Kent Herbeck suffering a shoulder injury in, like, 1992. Uh, career was never the same. 93-94 winds up retiring. Justin Morneau suffered the concussion, suffered multiple uh, wrist, elbow, foot, various injuries, 2011-12-13 prospects who came up that you thought okay mid-90s David McCarty Marty Cordova Scott Stahoviak gonna blend in with the Kirby Puckets gonna blend in with some of these veteran players and uh the torch will be passed off Todd Walker Rich Becker well you could say the same thing five six years ago all right Kyle Gibson Brian Dozier Danny Valencia Trevor Plouffe these this is the new wave Luke Hughes this is the wave of of young twins players Kevin Slowey Scott Baker um in both cases that wave of young players turned out to be the wave of players that drugged the Twins down into the bottom of the standings. And then he ended the column by writing, hunker down, Twins fans. This losing is going to be around for a while. And my argument at the time, I remember having this debate on the radio, and I said, you're being way too negative about this. They do have first-round picks on the horizon. Um, Justin Morneau will come back. Joe Maurer was an MVP in 2009. Maybe he doesn't hit for that kind of power, but you're overreacting. They're going to have money to spend. It's target field. Well, they spent the money poorly, um, and then in some cases they didn't spend it because they were so bad, and they went into rebuild mode immediately, immediately after 2011. But I find that really interesting. And Patrick Royce, I'm sorry for calling you wrong five years ago. You nailed it, although you did write at the beginning of this season that nothing was going to stop these <laughs> yeah. twins. This team has no flaws, and they were going to skyrocket into contention. So believe, even you backed off that take. But. I believe the quote was, what's not to like? Yeah. But couldn't you apply this and say... Well, it's been it's been mostly f- five six years of mostly being terrible, but it's not like you're going to hire a new president to baseball operations and flip a switch, and all of a sudden you're going to be going from a hundred losses to uh, ninety wins next season. I don't I don't see that happening either. Hey, this is Ben Gessling, the Vikings beat writer for ESPN. If you're into the Vikings and you're not already listening, make sure you check out the Purple Podcast on fifteen hundred ESPN. 
Judd Zolgan and I break down the Vikings every week, tell you everything you need to know about the team. You can check us out on Podcast One, iTunes, or 1500ESPN.com. Yeah, I put it this way. I, I think it's hard to see... Um, well, first of all, as humans, we're just bad at projecting the future. We, we're just bad at it. Um, the ones that are the best, in a turn of irony, are the ones that admit that they don't know anything. And then they just kind of try to figure out, based on that as a starting point. And so I'm going to try to mimic them, not saying that I'm that smart. I'm just saying try to copy smart people until someone thinks you're smart. I would say that the twins are... Much like last year, I think it was kind of a. It was. I'd say that was a 500 collection of players, uh, a five. You know, an 81 win team or thereabouts, high 70s, low 80s, and they won 83 games, so they kind of hit their mark. I mean, some people have argued they even overperformed that a little bit. I, I would say the same about this year's team. I would say, save for injuries and a stretch of sort of inexplicably bad play, and more to the point, dreadful starting pitching with a starting staff ERA creeping north towards six runs, a, a six-run ERA. Like, it's like 560 right now. How embarrassing. Right? Far and away, the worst in the major leagues, and, you know, crushing the... Especially if you even just go to the American League. I want to say second place. I looked this up the other day, and they had the second-place staff had like a 5.04 ERA. And before that... Everyone else was in the which I believe is Colorado, which has somewhat of an excuse. Well, the sure. air's a little thinner out there for fly sure. ball pitchers. <laughs> well, fair. And I'm actually just looking at the American League for whatever column this was for. But so anyway, there was I think at the time, if I'm remembering this correctly, there were two teams with a starting staff ERA north of five, and the Twins was like five and a half, five point five seven or something like that, which just mind-bogglingly bad. It just can't be that bad. Yeah. And so I look at the pieces and I say, okay, is there an immediate turnaround? Is this team going to win 90 games next year? No, probably not. I mean, there's a non-zero chance, but highly <laughs> unlikely. Well, now there's a non- there, there, uh, there's a 0% chance they finish 500 That's now, right? right. They Don't just, they have 82 losses? They crossed that threshold this? last night, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Monday night's extra inning loss to the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, I tweeted that this morning. People didn't like that very much, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. They they now have a zero percent chance to finish the season five hundred. That's amazing. They could win every game from now until the end of the year and they still finish eighty and eighty two. <laughs> so that pretty well summarizes how bad it's gotten for the twins. But I will say that I don't think it has to stay this bad. You know what I mean? I don't think that they go into this off season trying to rebuild from sixty wins. I think it's fair to say that you improve the pitching and improve the defense behind that pitching, well, suddenly this Twins team has a very different look. And I know that's ifs and buts or candy and nuts. We'd all have a Merry Christmas. But the idea that they are better than their actually than their, their record shows, I think the pieces are there still. I still think that to have a better baseball team. So I, I don't think that it's that far away of a rebuild. Would I, would I predict the postseason next year? No. But is two years away crazy? I mean, I just don't think so. See, you're lucky in that you don't really remember the mid-'90s Twins because you were like six, right? right? So yeah. you, you probably remember – I mean, your lifetime, for the most part, up until the last few years, has been division contending, my, twin, Twins winning 90 games on a regular basis. My right? baseball memory in Minnesota dates back to the 2001-2 season. I, okay. I, I remember TK, but not really. So you don't, so you don't really remember 
these nondescript pitching staffs no, yeah. from like '96, Frankie Rodriguez, yeah, and, and uh, was it Rich Robertson? When you guys talk about these, it's it's funny to me because it was just like a dreadful era of yeah. Twins baseball, but, which basically doesn't exist for me. But I would argue the era we're in right now, although the the, the biggest difference between the era we're in right now and the era that I grew up in, because I grew up in the MSC TV era, I grew up with Ryan Lefevre, young Ryan Lefevre calling. Uh, and Dick Bramer with Tommy John before Burp Lilevin mm-hmm. came along. I mean, that was like mid-90s was my wheelhouse for falling in love with baseball and the Twins. and the I was a big Cubs fan growing up. The biggest difference, and it's sort of fool's gold, between the current era we're in and the putrid era of the mid-90s that everyone makes fun of, the Twins came up for air once in this era. They came up for air... With 83 wins, right? Sure. All right, we're drowning, drowning. <gasps> New manager. <gasps> and then go back down underwater for a while. <laughs> yeah. And we'll see if they, if they pop up in the next couple of years. The mid-90s twins did not come up for air until 2001. Sure. They came up for air in a big way in April of 2001. But from like 1995 all the way through up until April 2001, it was, it was a team that you're always going to go back and look at those rosters and sort of make fun. Right? It was... It's the steroid era, and everyone's hitting 50 home runs, except the Twins team leader is scratching to get to 19. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pitching staff that even when the offense was producing runs in 96-97, you had Hall of Famers like Paul Molitor. Kirby Puckett was on the team in 1995. You had Terry Steinbach. You had all these names and all these hitters in the lineup. Dave Winfield in the mid-90s. And then their pitching staff gave up 900 runs. But I promise we're going to look back in 10 or 15 years from now and we're going to look at this six-year run the same way we look at those mid-90s Twins teams. Okay, when sure. you look at you can do the roster game, right? Oh, remember Matt Wolbeck? Right, I know. And Rich Becker. Oh, Todd Walker. We'll get to do that for the 2011 yes, to 16 you're gonna, Twins. You're going to go back and you're going to look at guys like, oh, remember when they gave Nick Blackburn that contract? Sure. And, oh, who are some of the other guys on that staff? Who is that? Oh, Kevin Correa. Right. Jason Marquis. Remember when Luke Hughes hit six home runs in back-to-back spring trainings and was going to be the next Dan Ugla power hitter at second base but couldn't hit a curveball? Like, we're going to do that. And the question is, will it stop with the new regime immediately or will the new regime, much like, say, in Kansas City or uh, other places where it takes a few extra years? Or, hell, with Terry Ryan when he took over. It took him yeah. six years yeah. to build a winner. Um, does it have to take that long with a mid-market team in this current climate. I don't think it does, but oftentimes it turns out to take a long time when the new regime comes in. I would like to make someday, I mean, today's not that day, but someday we'll do a positive podcast on the Twins. You won't believe, I mean... It, we did a bunch last year. We'll have to, yeah, I know, but we'll Actually, have you to... did a bunch in the off-season, to be honest. Uh, yeah, we probably did. And in we probably did a training. couple in, like, late March <laughs> that are very regrettable. Talking about, uh, yeah... We don't have to fact, revisit that. We should go back and find audio clips. For next week's podcast, we should go find embarrassing audio clips okay. of like optimistic March podcasts. Sure. Our assignment will each of us to be to find one thing of our own that we're now ashamed of, looking back in hindsight. <laughs> this will, it, it'll actually, that'll be harder for me, I think, because I don't, I don't teeter much from the – I don't st- stick my toes out off of the tree ledge very much. I don't – like you're, a, I, you're a master at riding the media. I pretty much know. stick on the trunk, and I'll I'll stay there for eternity. In your world, every NFL team is most likely eight and eight. Probably, probably eight and eight. So I'll get, put them on somewhere between six and like fifteen wins. See, that's my beef with websites like, and I love Baseball Prospectus and yeah. Football Outsiders. But I was just going through the Football Outsiders Almanac, and it's the same thing when you go through Fangraphs and Baseball Prospectus and Numberfire, the baseball win totals. 
every NFL team's projected win total is between like six and ten. Yeah. Right. So the the worst teams in the NFL are simulated to be five point eight and mm-hmm. uh, what's my math ten point two, and just like if you go through number fire or whatever projection service you go through before a baseball season, divisions are won and lost with projected winners at eighty seven and <laughs> let me do some more math here seventy five. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's you. Is and what I'm saying exactly. Like, you're right. you're like the automated. Uh, projection service and that brings everyone back to the boring middle ground right. very fair to make fun of yes but it'll be funny if i find something that's just like white hot See, take I, that comes out to i be think wrong. what happens is because you're such a non-zero well there's always a chance of almost right. anything happening and i'm going to bring everything back toward i'm going to regress everything back toward a mean yeah and my daily co-host on the radio side is the hey this thing that you're super excited about well here's why you shouldn't be excited about it and why you're probably going to die early like <laughs> So I, I feel an obligation to be Mr. Positive, okay? We've got cold buckets of water oh from gosh. every direction. Well, okay, so let's do a podcast in the future of reasons why it won't be so bad, and I'll just give you a couple for free here. Um, if Byron Buxton – now, this is for the stats inclined, and, and if if you're not into advanced stats, I can further explain, but if Byron Buxton goes from being a negative value player to an eight-win player – which is not crazy based on his minor league projections. Okay, there's a huge lift to this Twins team. Suddenly you're not employing Logan Schaefer. Wait, how many, what, what was his if war? If he goes from, like, if he's a negative player to, like, an eight-win player. So, basically, if he goes from what he is now to being Andrew McCutcheon or Mike Trout, light. the Twins are going to be fine. Light, yes. I'm not well, saying eight, he's gonna... eight wins wouldn't be Andrew sure, McCutcheon okay. light. You just made a big jump there. You How just, about you just put a Hall of Fame player on the Twins roster next year that strikes out in half of his plate appearances so far? Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> Look at me uh, bringing you back. To right, the I know. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. No, so okay, let's say a five win player, whatever. Or what if because the Twins were actually monitoring the Tim Tebow workout there right now? Go. What if Tim Tebow's a five win player and and he signs next year yeah. and he's ready to go? Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's okay. So so Buxton could be one. Barreos can't be this bad. Sano should be a more positive value player than he has been. What if Brian Dozier doesn't go in the tank for two months? Um, I don't know. I think there's some dead weight you can drum off the roster. Uh, and then I look at yeah, players just a like... Little. <laughs> and, and I look at players like Phil Hughes and Glenn Perkins, who've been afterthoughts this year, literally non-contributors, yeah. could be valuable players. So... Look, I, I think we could do. We could come up with a list of ten positives if we wanted to for next season. Uh, why it won't be a, you know, a, I, I think they can easily improve, especially if they lose a hundred games. They could improve by fifteen wins, and it would not shock me at all. I wouldn't be like, "Whoa, the Twins came out of nowhere." And if that, if let's say they finish uh, sixty-two and a hundred, fifteen wins would still have them. Well below 500. No good. So, yep. uh, all right, I'm going to be optimistic, too, here. I'm going right. to give you another freebie. Let's all right. it. I see only one major flaw on this team going into next season. Pitching. <laughs> Can't even keep a straight face. Yeah, I was like, okay, we're setting there's him only, up for a joke There's here, only or? one major flaw, and it's pitching. Well. Unfortunately, you need, like, 12 or 13 pitchers, and there's only about one or two that you trust on this current Starting staff squad. is problem A. They do have some interesting bullpen pieces. I think the Twins could build a good bullpen next year. And w- why has this team been so bad defensively? This team needs to be better in the field. I don't get it. I don't know what the excuse is. I know they don't have players who are going to be gold glovers at every position. 
But some of the play, at least from my perception of watching this team, it's lack of focus. It's the mental side of the game. Jorge Polanco can be a mess some nights at shortstop, and I don't think that's acceptable. Um, we've seen Miguel Sano go through his defensive rut at third base, and that, that was terrible. That can't happen. Um, and I don't know exactly if there's an easy fix for that, if there's a quick fix. I'm not the one tasked with yeah. fixing it, but I am pointing it out as a problem that that is something the Twins can improve and, frankly, need to improve if they want to be competitive. You did some math on – Jim Polad came out and said, I thought very strangely, of all the things he was leaving open-ended for the next president of baseball operations, new front office – he demanded that Paul Molitor, at least initially when, uh, when they made the decision to fire Terry Ryan, that Paul Molitor would come back and fulfill his last uh, season under contract as manager. I, I think once you get someone that you really like in to run the front office, I think you have no choice but to leave it up to that person. Now, do they have to fire the manager? Is that a really important piece to the puzzle right away? Um, depends on how much Molitor would buy into whatever the new president to baseball operations is selling. But just for fun, you went and found managers and how they fared, do they keep their job or not after losing 100 games? Yeah, since the DH was instituted in the American League, so that was 1973, which gives us a 43-year sample, give or take. And uh, there have been 49 teams that have lost 100 games, which I guess seems about right. Um, There are some years where there aren't any, but there are others, you know, you've got a couple of teams that lose 100. Anyways, of those 40 nine managers 28 of them lost their job now some of them are repeat some managers lost 100 games a couple of times and they kept it the first time and lost it the second time for example but so you know roughly 57 so we'll say 60 percent 60 percent of the time a manager hmm. loses 100 games and then loses his job it's about context yeah obviously i mean if right. you're if you're hired on because the team's already terrible you're going to be given a couple seasons yeah uh, let's get some you're better not players gonna fire um you know, Bo Porter, his first year he loses 100 years in Houston. Se- but the second, second year, time, he'll, he's, he's gone. gone. Yeah. Even though Which, the payroll is like $10 million because we stripped it down, you're fired. Embarrassing you're fired. Uh, for Houston, but whatever. Um, you know, and okay, so fine. There are other there are other examples too. Like I th- my favorite one, actually, I had forgotten about this. But so how many did I say? 49. So 28 of them lost their job. 20 of them kept their job. And you're like, well, hold on, that math doesn't add up. 20 of them were back for the following season. Well, Jim Leland in 1998 resigned as manager of the Florida Marlins because the team was stripped down after winning the World Series. He basically said, nope, I'm done with this. I'm out. I think he went to maybe Colorado after that. But anyways, uh, about a 60% chance that you get fired after this. And most owners didn't come out and give their manager a public vote of confidence, so I'm not saying those stats apply to this situation. Obviously, this one's a little bit different, but I thought it was interesting. It's it's not as it's not as unusual as I would have thought to lose 100 games and then also keep your job. Yeah, I think if we're being honest, I mean, managers, especially when you compare them to head coaches in other sports, I mean. If a football coach goes 2-14, and 14, a lot of that might be preparation. I mean, it's always going to come down to players and personnel first and foremost, but especially in baseball. It's never been quantified how many wins above replacement a manager is because it's so hard. I mean, there's, there's, there's the things you can quantify, which are bullpen matchups, but then there's the things that you can't quantify, which are clubhouse chemistry yeah. or maybe bringing the water level up in a clubhouse so that 
the team as a whole performs at the 80th percentile instead of the 50th percentile? Is there an art to that behind the scenes? And it's something we might never really be able to prove. It's kind of like a center um, in football or a catcher behind the plate. You can't. It's tough to quantify how much a catcher might help a pitching staff with scouting reports. Sure. Or um, actually, I heard um, I was listening to uh, the Mason and Ireland show in Los Angeles the day after they traded the Dodgers traded AJ Ellis, who's like a 190 hitting backup catcher, but he's been with the organization for a long time. And Dan Heron came on the show to sort of talk about. All right, is there there's some there's some unrest in the clubhouse because he was the most popular guy and he was the clubhouse leader, but he's only hitting 190, and they wanted somebody with a little bit more pop. How much are they actually losing? And Dan Heron told a great story about how uh, AJ Ellis helped integrate Heron into the team's scouting system and how they don't go off of opposing hitters' batting average, but but well hit average and and how to sort of. Um, manipulate at bats so that you can get weaker contact and things like that that would never really show up unless you look and see, oh, this pitcher has a lower ERA than he usually would. Well, how much credit do you give to the pitcher versus the pitching coach versus the catcher? Managers can be the same way, I think, but it's so hard to quantify some of that. So I do think when you watch the Twins bumble around in the field and make all these mistakes and you see some prospects getting completely snowed over their first taste of the big leagues, I mean, is that all coaching and managing? No, but I think to say that it's not any part coaching and managing would be a mistake. It is probably a non-zero amount of coaching and managing. Yes. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator skin. Man, I love Operator skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and 320 and 23.